Today's scripture reading comes from Genesis chapter 49, verses 28 to 33. Genesis chapter 49, verses 28 to 33. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field at Machpelah, to the east of Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abram brought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife, there they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife, and there I bury Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were brought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. God, our helper, by your Holy Spirit, open our minds that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may be led into your truth and taught your will for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We are coming to the end of Genesis and Joseph's story. The story actually feels like it should have ended two chapters ago when Jacob made Joseph give the vow. You remember under the thigh, which means something else, but under the thigh, he made that vow, don't bury me here in Egypt. And it seems as though now, last week we talked about God's wisdom, uh, the blessing of Manasseh and Ephraim and then how it was changed. It seems almost as if this is an epilogue. It feels like an epilogue, you know? The story's kind of over and now we're just kind of tidying up things. Um, even though it feels like an epilogue, even though you may want to just end it and kind of shut off, I would say this part is not an epilogue. 48, 49, 50 is not just tying up loose ends in the story. In fact, it is a very much integral part of what God is trying to teach us in Genesis. Just as we saw how important Genesis chapter five was with genealogy, I urge you to stay awake, stay alert, because we are not to skip over this chapter. Jacob calls, starts by calling his sons and gathering them to him, saying he is about to prophesy. And even though we can be inclined to think this is just an old blessing and it's not relevant to us, again, I urge you to think again. I do believe that the warnings and the encouragements that Jacob gave his sons are especially relevant to us today. How do you know it's a prophecy? How do you know if it actually is a prophecy? How do you know if it's true? Because a lot of people have prophesied over my life as well. Growing up in a mainly Korean church, having a lot of more charismatic kind of speakers come in, speaking over my life, and saying very specific, detailed things over me, how do I know if that's true? 
how do you know? Because someone can come up to you and I can pick someone like Joanne here and I'm like, Joanne, tomorrow I want to prophesy. Tomorrow you will wear green. Well, how do you know that's true? How do you know that prophecy is true? Well, you know it's true if she wears green. <laughs> you know it's true if it actually comes true. If it doesn't come true, obviously it's not a, a good prophecy. First, that after that being said, it's important to note that Jacob doesn't go down the birth order of his sons when he gives the blessings. And this should alert us as this is something that is anything but ordinary. Normally if you just read it and you just read, oh, this is a nice poem, look at you know the indentations, look at the paragraph markings and all these things, it's a nice poem and you can just read it. But if you look carefully, the order of birth has been changed. Well, the order of birth isn't changed. It doesn't, it doesn't go down during the, uh, in the birth order. Can I get that uh, picture I sent real quick up there? I don't know if you can see it, but if you can, you have really good eyes. If not, you're like mine. Okay, but number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, all the way down to 12 is the actual number of Jacob's sons. And then there's the birth order. We have... We have Reuben, we have Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun, and then the last two that we are all familiar with, Joseph and Benjamin. And then we have the mothers of the children. And we went over all of this. Uh, Leah gave Jacob uh, his first four sons. And then we have Bilhah, which was Rachel's maidservant. Because Rachel wasn't getting children, she said, sleep with my maidservant, and these are the two sons born to Bilhah. And then Leah got jealous, so she said, oh, actually, you sleep with my maidservant, which is Zilpah, and Gad and Asher was born. And then Leah was uh, pregnant again, and Issachar, Zebulun, was born. And then finally, Rachel was born, Joseph, and uh, Ben-Oni, but she, she, she said, uh, the son of my suffering, Remember, Jacob changed it to Benjamin, which is son of my right hand. And so we have that. But the blessing order is a little different, and I want to make note of that. And I wanted you to kind of visualize it as I go down the blessing. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah seem to be the same, but we see here Zebulun, which is Leah's last son, is elevated to the fifth position in the blessing. And then Issachar, which was older, who was older than Zebulun, is actually demoted down to the sixth place. And then we have Dan, which is Bilhah's uh, first child. And then Gad, which is Zilpah's first child. And then Asher, which is Zilpah's last child. And Naphtali, which is Bilhah's last child. And there's just like kind of weird play going on, but Joseph and Benjamin are still kept in the same place. Let's go down the blessings. Jacob says, gather to me, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen to you in the days to come. He says that in verse one, and then in verse two, he starts speaking and prophesying. He says, assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob, to Israel, your father. 
And then he first goes to Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the first fruits of my strength. That means when I was young and strong, when I was able, I had you. First fruits of my strength, it connotates sexual strength as well. When I was, um, when I had a lot of vigor, uh, that's when I had you, and you were preeminent in dignity, preeminent in power. You were stronger than anybody else because you had the best of what I could give, but you were unstable as the water. Her Hebrew word is more like turbulent. You're turbulent, and you shall not have preeminence. You shall not have royalty. You shall not have my first uh, birth, your first birthright blessing because you went up to your father's bed. And then we read that before. And he went and he slept with the maidservant, um, Jacob's maidservant, and he defiled. He said, well, he went up to my couch, uh, which is kind of trying to get up there. And so you see here, Reuben isn't actually given a blessing. It seems more like a curse to me. But it wasn't because... Jacob just didn't like Reuben. It actually is because of what he did. He gave up his birthright by his evil actions. And that's why the birthright moved all the way to Joseph, who receives a double portion, as we talked about last week, um, by um, Ephraim and Manasseh. And so he loses that. And then we go to Simeon and Levi. Simeon and Levi are put together they're brothers, but they're both apparently violent. Simeon, of course, uh, meant, oh, you heard me? God heard me because Leah said, I was hated, so you heard me. And Levi, it means attached to me. So perhaps she thought, now that I gave, gave Jacob three sons, my, my husband will at least acknowledge me, will at least start to like me will be attached to me. And these two brothers are associated and mentioned together as being violent. And their land actually in the future is divided, just as Reuben loses his birthright. And we see that in Reuben's clan, no prophet, um, no judge, no leader actually ever comes out of Reuben's clan. Uh, Simeon and Levi, they actually would almost get land, but it would be divided. Simeon would just be given a few cities in Israel, and the Levites, as we know, become priests who actually have no land inheritance. So both of them don't get any land. And it says their weapons of violence are swords, or in some, some translations, you could actually see the Hebrew, it could also mean like circumcision knives. What they would do is they would even... Um, take these knives, which were meant for something else, like a sacred ceremony, and they would hamstring oxen, which uh, Jacob says later. He says, and he doesn't even refer to them. If you look at it, Reuben, he says, you did this, you did this. When he talks about Simeon and Levi, he just says, them. Let me not even be in their council or in their presence. I don't even want to be in the same place they are. For in their anger, they killed men. And we remember in Shechem what they did after the rape of Dinah, what they did and in their willfulness, they hamstrung oxen. So what that means is in their anger, you couldn't control them. They would kill people. But even in their willfulness, even when they're happy, what they would do for fun would hamstring oxen, would destroy, would be violent. 
He says, cursed be their anger for it's fierce and their wrath for it's cruel. And I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel, which actually did happen. And then he stops on Judah. Your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies, which means people that are even trying to escape, you can grab them. That's the picture that he is showing. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub from the prey. My son, you have gone up. He has stooped down. He, has crou he crouched as a lion. And as a lioness, who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. This picture that Jacob is drawing for Judah, Judah, by the way, means praise the Lord. Judah is given a picture like a lion. He would be the king of the other tribes. And in fact, his tribe does produce kings, which we saw with King David, and of course later with Jesus Christ. Zebulun is Leah's sixth and final son. Jacob's tenth means dwelling. And it goes, Zebulun will, shall dwell at the shore of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships and his border shall be at Sidon. And he does get the land between the Mediterranean Sea and the Sea of Galilee. And he does have um, access to ships and ports. And I guess in some ways that has become true. Issachar is a strong donkey crouching between the sheepfolds. He saw that a resting place was good and the land was pleasant. And so he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant at forced labor. We don't know anything about Issachar until here and when he was born. So we don't know if he was lazy. Maybe he was lazy. Maybe that's why he lost his place in line to, um, to Zebulun. We, we're not sure, but in fact, Issachar's land, as if you continue to read the Old Testament, is agricultural. And um, it's true to this specific prophecy. He does inherit a rich farmland in the valley of Jezreel in Galilee. So to a degree, you see that this actually is true. Um, Dan shall judge his people. Dan, which also means judgment or the judge, shall judge his people, people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that his rider falls backward. Dan actually does become a judge in Israel. Samson, one of Israel's greatest judges, is from the tribe of Dan. And yet, we also see that many of Dan's leaders, or the tribe of Dan's leaders, worship idols and brings God's judgment. And then there's a pause. So you're going down this, and he's saying all these things and these blessings. He, he does mess up the order a little bit, but you might be thinking, ah, oh, Jacob's old, he's senile. I'll just write down what he says as he says it. And then there's this pause, which almost doesn't make any sense. But you can't just let it go. You can't skip over it. Because in this pause, he goes, I wait for your salvation, O Lord. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. And then he continues. And then raiders shall raid Gad, 
and he shall raid at their heels. Gad, which means troop or invader. Remember, Zilpah was having her child, um, Zilpah's first son, Jacob's seventh, and there was a soldier coming, and he's like, look, a soldier. So they actually named the son Gad, which kind of means a troop or soldier. And in fact, as you see in the Old Testament, Gad does become a little more effective in military struggles and um, it's really hard to know exactly what that meant because of the shortness of what we see about Gad in the Bible. But um, some people think the prediction is true because of the great number of troops under King David was from the tribe of Gad. But we'll move on. Asher's food shall be rich and he shall yield royal delicacies. Asher, which means happiness, Zilpah's second son, and he does enjoy good soil. They inherit very fertile land of Carmel along the sea coast, and they actually have good food that in the end they give up to their enemies, but they do have good food. So I guess, and Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. Uh, Naphtali means struggle or fights, but it says here is a doe let loose, and so, um, it's kind of unclear, but maybe Naphtali had an easier time than the other tribes because they're, they're, you know, they, they were let loose. But we go on to Joseph. And in Joseph, we see another climactic moment, like Judah, but Joseph. Joseph, which means increase, is a fruitful bow. A fruitful bow by the spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely, yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, by the God of your father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you, with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb. The blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. Now that's an incredible blessing. And he gives this blessing to Joseph. And of course we all know Jacob loved Joseph. And this Joseph is of incredible bounty. It's like and it is a double portion because even his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, will become a founder in the tribe of Israel. They are brought into the fold of the tribes. And so he does get that increase. Benjamin, finally, is a ravenous wolf in the morning devouring the prey and at evening dividing the spoil. Benjamin, actually being the youngest son, becomes a warrior. His tribe does produce many military leaders like Ehud, King Saul is from the tribe of Benjamin and Jonathan of course is from the tribe of Benjamin. And his tribe would be later known for its warring characteristics. And so those are the blessings. And if we ended it here, you'd be like, oh, that was good, good to know. I'm glad that we tied up loose ends and now we know what's going on. But like I said in the very beginning, it can't be just about tying loose ends. God doesn't do that in the Bible, nor does he do that here. And there is something that was off that we have to go back to. What was off? Even though we not, we're not sure 100% of everything, 
what's off. And for me, it was verse 18. Why pause at verse 18 and ask for salvation in the middle of blessing his sons? Why would you pause? You really have to say to yourself, I can't leave this part. This part, why would you pause, Jacob? Is it because you're old? Is it because you're senile? The Lord really did show you a theophany. He revealed himself to you. Then this is important. Why would you pause? Why would you ask for salvation in the middle of the blessings? And like any good exegete, you would look at the verses before, the verses after. The verse before is about Dan. It's about the judge judging his people. And if you continue on looking at Dan's blessing, the people that he judges falls. And then you start thinking about it. You know what? Reuben is a lot like Adam in the Bible. There was a lust for power. The first fruits of the strength of the one that birthed him. And he was unstable. And he lusted after power illegitimate. And what came after Reuben? Simeon and Levi. Violence was their name. What happened after Adam? We had a son named Cain who had the first murder. And that is what we do when we have power. People always think, if only I had this power, if only I had this influence, I could change so much. And people that come and talk to me and share that with me, I am most concerned with, and I'm gonna be completely honest with you, I always wonder why you want this power. Why do you want that power? Is it really to help people, be, or is it because you think you know better than other people? I can do so much better than this leader over here. This leader is an idiot. Give me that power. And instead of waiting for God to ordain you, what we do is we take that. We start lusting for the power. One of the things that our church is going through is we are growing and we are in the midst and in the process of looking for new deacons and elders, sure. But I, I always wonder who really covets being a deacon? Who really covets being an elder? And if you do want to be one, why? And if you don't become one, what's gonna happen? People in their, um, when they're young, just take new members, very excited, serve any way you can. A few years pass, right? A few years always pass, time always passes. And then you think to yourself, why can't I become a deacon? I do just as much as these guys. They're not that much better than me. I better become a deacon soon. I deserve it. And then if there's any way you can manipulate or take it, you would take that fruit and that you would eat it. But what happens then is that that source, because it was illegitimate, leads to other things. 
And here we see in the Bible, it always led to violence. It always shows us who we are in human nature once we have power. I'm not just talking about deaconship or eldership or anything like that. I'm talking about anything. I want to be up on stage for whatever reason. I want to do this for the church for whatever reason. And if we do it illegitimately, what we are claiming is I deserve this and I start lusting after it. And what happens is what we see, this power corrupts and kills not just yourself, but all those that are, can be affected by you. And then we go on to Judah. Judah is showing us, even though we're like this, even though we lusted after power, even though after we got that power illegitimately, what we use it for is violence, for death and destruction, there is a king though. There is a king that's mighty like a lion, that's beautiful like nothing else. If you look at the descriptions, his eyes are darker than wine, his teeth are whiter than milk, is showing this extreme picture of beauty and riches beyond measure because who would wash their garments in wine? You would just stain the shirt, that's crazy. Unless you're so ridiculously rich that it doesn't even matter. Who would... Um, put his donkey on a choice vine. The choice vine would not hold the donkey unless you have a million choice vines and it's just an overflow of riches. There is a king that's different, mighty like a lion, beautiful like nothing else, rich beyond measure. And then we go to Zebulun. And in Zebulun, one thing to note is Sidon, that city that's mentioned, is where the god of Baal was from. Baal came from Sidon. Even though there is a king that's beautiful beyond measure, what we did, we accepted a false god. And Issachar is enslavement, became a servant at false labor. And because we accepted this false god, we became a slave to this false god. And Dan means judgment. And judgment came. Who could stand? No one can stand, and we all fall down. Salvation is cried out for here. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. In Hebrew, it's Yeshua Yeshuathka. And Li is an article, so I take Li out, and it's Yeshuathka. And to the Athka is an ending. If I take it out, the root is Yeshua, which means save, savior. Yeshua, the name of Jesus, is being cried out in verse 18. Even though no one can stand in judgment, Jesus, save us. And in Gad, it means there will be a struggle. There will be a fight. But Asher, we will have enough. We will not grow hungry because in the end, Naphtali, we will be set free. And here is what the promise is to the people that follow Jesus. Joseph, Joseph is a blessing that's given to us that is showing us that we will not forget the hardships that we go through. Just because we say, oh, we can't wait for heaven. Don't have to think about anything anymore that's bad. Untrue. 
What we remember is we do remember the arrows, but what we will remember is that our hand was steady because of the mighty one, because of the shepherd, the stone of Israel. The blessing of a prince is upon Joseph, and it's the crown that shall be upon our head. And this is the blessing that is given to us from the mighty one. When we get, went through Joseph all this time, it's we, we desired and we yearned to be like Joseph. We wanted to be Joseph because that's in us. We want Joseph's blessings. That's who we are. We want to be like Joseph because what we see is a blessing that God intended us to, for us to have. And not just Joseph, but it doesn't end there. Benjamin, even though we get the, re, the blessing and the reward, Benjamin is a ravenous wolf the actual word means tear to pieces. Ravenous can also mean, man, I was ravenous, I was hungry. That actually isn't the right word. Ravenous, when this was written, didn't even mean that at the time. Ravenous means that Benjamin would tear his prey in the morning. That means you would be so skillful that if you went out hunting, you could get it right away. That's how skillful you'll still be. And you would not only be able to eat the prey, but you would have more than enough to bring back, dividing the spoil. You have more than enough so that you share with others. My friends, the prophecy has come true. And it did come through true in Jesus. He is the salvation that Jacob cried out for. And through Jesus, we as a people are finally free. This is the true prophecy. This is what we have been waiting for all of our lives and all of humankind's lives. We were waiting for Jesus. What a true prophecy. What a true blessing we have in Christ. It doesn't mean that we erase and we forget about Reuben, like, oh, Reuben, what an idiot but it's to accept that we are actually Reuben and we did become Simeon and Levi. But there is a king that was so beautiful, but we didn't look at him. We looked at other things. We looked at other gods and we became enslaved. And when judgment came, we fell short. But when we cried out to God for salvation, he sent us Jesus. Now, even in the fight, we won't go hungry, but we will win and we become loosened and free so that the blessings God has for us, we shall be able to receive blessings in abundance, double portions that we couldn't have imagined is in Christ, the mighty one, our ultimate shepherd, that we also will become built up, skillful, so that we can share and enjoy it with others. What a blessing. What an incredible prophecy. This is what God has in store for those who continue to seek after him and follow him. I want to encourage you, no matter what you are going through, no matter what our church goes through, no matter what you go through personally, with your family, hold on to the Lord. When you cry out, 
he listens, and he is mighty to save. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for this incredible blessing. What started off and what seemed like blessings and curses mixed together, we see now is an incredible plan that you had for your people, a plan that shows your incredible wisdom and your might to carry it out. And this is what we desire. We desire to be your people and to walk with you, to talk with you, and to grow with you. Oh Lord, won't you be with us now? Let's take this time to pray and let's really lift up in our hearts a prayer to the Lord, asking God to continually move us in his plan, in his ways, trusting in all that he has for us. Let's pray.